Totally Football Show. Today, Alisson. Liverpool get an expensive Brazilian, but still have a close shave anyway. There's people lining up to tear strips off him. Will it stay hairy back there, or has Alisson learnt a lesson? Also, Spurs Watford, Benteke what for, and West Ham what now? In the Totally Football Show. sounds of Reg Dwight on a very special weekend for Sir Elton. New stand at Vicarage Road, or new name on the stand at Vicarage Road, and a fat win for Watford, who continue their 100% start to the season. Here to discuss that and so much more today, we have Michael Cox. Hello, James. David Priest. A very good morning to you, James. And Daniel Story. Good morning. Daniel and Michael will be appearing at the Manchester Football Writers Fest. Festival this Monday evening. Yep. Tickets still available, Michael? Well, I expect the event will probably have happened by the time most people hear this. Really? So we can get you tickets to some kind of commemoration. All right, if you don't hear this in time, there is, of course, listeners, one other hope. And that is to come to Totally Football Live. Because Monday the 24th of September, Michael, you'll be joining me and Duncan Alexander and James Horncastle. That's at the southbackcentre.co.uk. That's where you get the tickets from. And then, Daniel, you're with us in Manchester again, Friday the 5th of October, us in this case being Horncastle and Rory Smith. Ctickets.com. S-E-E tickets.com. Right, let's begin, A, with Sunday's excitement at Vicarage Road. Watford's 2-1 win over Spurs. Michael. Who, what, why, where, Watford? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this was very unexpected, both the the result itself, but I think the nature of the result, right. because I think that Spurs were, were bullied, really. Mm. They were outfought. Um, and that's not something we associate with Spurs. You know, it's usually Arsenal, who are said to be flimsy and not physical enough, maybe even Guardiola's City, maybe Sarri's Chelsea this season. But Spurs are a big side. They're a physical side. They're a pressing side. They're aggressive. But I thought they couldn't cope with the, the strength of of Watford's front two, particularly when Isaac's success came on, I thought he was very good. And there was a couple of incidents where Tottenham's defenders were just shoved off the ball. And it's quite rare to see that as the kind of decisive factor at Premier League level. Mm. But I thought Spurs were just not good enough in that department. Of course, they conceded two from set pieces as well, two headed goals. So it was a very surprising display. All right. Can you explain through the medium of Elton John's song titles exactly how Watford... One thing I will say, right. I really enjoyed Martin. You hear Martin Tyler's line on Sky yeah. Sports. He can tell everyone this is his stand. That's very nice, which is isn't brilliant. it? Brilliant. Yeah. I, I had. Uh, was there not enough sacrifice? Good. <laughs> Troy Troy Dini very much Captain Fantastic. I mean, there's the you know there's there's a wide canon of of, of Elton classics. Um, lots of people getting excited about their physicality. For example, A T. Uh, also writing in Thunder Butter. Good name who says uh, hats off to James Horncastle for tipping the Hornets for this win last Thursday. And Gavin Cleaver, who's curious to know why Watford are predicted to go down each season by pundits and bookies, but haven't spent a week in the relegation zone since they were promoted. Now, are there parallels with another team that was predicted for relegation, but actually did really, really well right to the end of the season and won the title, Leicester? Possibly, I think uh, Le- Leicester probably uh, had a few more options than uh, than Watford have, have got at the moment. Going in, forward, in the, yeah, in the start, yeah. In the, especially in the in the sort of yeah attacking sense. But I quite like them. In the, you know the the tweet that we had this morning about the the, the physical part of the game. Mm. I'm you know I think I've said before on this podcast I'm all for for that side of the game. But it's it, it's more than that as well. They've got I mean, they've got two players in sort of Etienne Capou and uh, and Dukuri in midfield. I just think they're just two brilliant centre midfielders and at the back they've uh, one massive upgrade they've made is Ben Foster now he didn't probably he probably didn't have his best game Ben but Foster and the Jets as I call him oof, 
I'm, I'm not a huge. Um, Are you not? I'm not a huge fan. Well, the I'm, early I'm, work. I'm an admirer more, yeah. more than the fan. Yeah, but anyway. Okay. Um, what about a Ben Foster? Yeah, he's a huge upgrade on uh, Cornetus last season, and even as well as Gomez did. Uh, coming back, to, uh, coming to Watford, he was still sort of he started to look uh, his age, and uh, Connetus last season wasn't the answer at all. I'm surprised he got a move to to, to Napoli, but Ben Foster, even though he didn't have his best game yesterday, he's, he's made a big difference. Mm. We talked about the defensive stats, but it was something that was picked up, I think, quite a lot. And after this game, was a way that um, similarly to that Leicester team, they they let you play out on the flanks, but woe betide if you try and get anything into the box. Yeah, similar structure. I mean, they they play two up front in a different way to Leicester did. Okazaki was always dropping off, whereas I think here it's more that uh, Gray can move out wide and work the channels. But yeah, there are parallels. And um, I think they've shown they can win in different ways this season. I mean, I think their best player so far has been Pereira, who was actually very quiet yesterday. And yeah, they won without him. Uh, Holivas has been very useful, obviously got the two assists. I mm. mean, they do have options. They've got a good structure and... Um, yeah, I, I didn't see this coming, to be honest, but it's it's been a pleasant surprise. Winning the three previous fixtures, you could put down to kind of early season mm-hmm. quirks or whatever, but to beat Spurs like this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Watford have done this before, maybe not quite to such extreme levels, where they start the season pretty quickly and mm. effectively ensure survival by February. Kiki Sanchez Flores. Exactly, and then... then playing flip-flops for the last three months of the season. I would say in Watford's defence, and and I'm saying this purely in hindsight because I didn't see this coming, over the last 18 months they have tried to do something different. Watford always felt like a slightly transient club where players of all ages, but particularly older players, were sort of just passing through, often from Udinese. Um, The last 10 players they've bought have been 24 or under. Um, So that indicates that they are kind of thinking of the future and while not many of those players are in the first team yet, I think that probably sends a message to the players that are already there to say, actually, there's a bit of competition behind you now. There's some young, hungry players going to push you, which I'm sure must help. Uh, I agree. I, I love their central midfield. I know we will talk about West Ham later, but they are polar opposites in midfield. Two players who, with all the energy and all the running that you need, and two that have gotten on. <laughs> it's funny you were saying about uh, about what they're building behind the scenes because Troy Deeney was doing it, um, was doing an interview yesterday and um, he, he was talking about how you, if you came to the club you'd be very surprised to see that they're actually building from you know from the bottom upwards and, and from within and that's it, he's thinking that you know is, there's an exciting future there at the, at the club rather than it being sort of like I said just a, a change after change after change. Pretty exciting present as well. What about Spurs? We got a lot of pelters from Tottenham fans for not talking about them enough after last week's win at Old Trafford. So, any thoughts on their performance? It was a surprise that Pochettino didn't go with a proper defensive midfielder. I thought Dembele really now, I think he's, he's past his best. I'm not sure really they can rely on him. Um, was a great player a couple of years ago, but just physically doesn't look up to it. And I thought it was surprising as well that Pochettino took a long time to make any changes. Um, it was after the, the Watford second goal where he first turned to his substitutes bench. But Watford had been kind of piling on the pressure. I didn't think the two goals felt against the run of play and he didn't really seem to attempt to change anything, which was a surprise. It was, I thought they started OK, Tottenham. They didn't create many chances. What about Vorm's performance in for Lorry's? Yeah, I thought he was OK, Paul. I mean, you, David, you're probably OK with goalies kicking the ball out for a corner. You know, it's probably like a defender's fault or something, is it? <laughs> Did Vertonghen not show for him? <laughs> Well, do you know what? Should we, should, we'll, we'll go there later, shall we? We'll go there later. OK. The one thing, having said about Spurs on Monday, that this was kind of proof of their cohesion and stability when they hadn't bought any players and kind of out fought Manchester United second half, when Pochettino did look to the bench and saw Fernando Llorente as his only attacking option, basically, I think they had a goalkeeper, two full-backs, three central midfielders and Llorente on the bench. I know Hyungmin's son is coming back and Lamella will come back from injury, but that just isn't enough. Yeah. At all. Your son will be coming back. Or yeah. is it don't let the son do national service? I'm not sure. <laughs> don't go with that one. We've got, we've got son, he's not a soldier. That's what I think Spurs fans oh, are going okay. to Oh, OK. Yeah, 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 nice one. Nice one. Um, super. Yeah, that's after South Korea Beach Band in the early hours of Sunday. He's from Seoul. He's from Seoul. But that's he's, better, isn't that's it? That's much better, Michael. Yeah. Spurs fans? True? Do we care? He used to play for Seoul FC. Whether he's from, so I don't, I don't know, but I'm, I'm fine with that. That's so much better, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it's so good, in fact, we'll, we'll just leave part one there. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. 
Also on maximum points in the always exciting Premier League, Chelsea, who beat Bournemouth 2-0. Sarri's prediction said it would take his team three months to really come together. Is that an ominous warning for how good they're going to be in a couple of months? I didn't think they played well in this game, but yeah, they've, they've obviously got the results. And I thought the nature of the goals was interesting because they're both from one-twos and anyone who watched Sarri's Napoli will know they're all about one-twos, almost just going up and down the field playing one-twos. And um, as I always say, I love Olivier Giroud for his ability to just play those cute little passes as he did for the Pedro goal. Marcus Alonso really heavily involved again. All four games this season, he's been a real attacking threat. Um, I think there's still more to come. I think Jorginho can be more incisive. Um, Kovacic has been technically impressive without really starring so far, but I think he's a great player and will come good. Um, so, yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's going better than I thought. I thought they would have a period of adjustment and... Uh, they haven't really. They've just got off to a winning start. OK, well, a 2-0 win for them. And Liverpool also maintaining their perfect record after one or two scares away at the King Power Stadium. Well done, Liverpool. But what everybody's talking about is what Tom Williams called Alison Blunderland. Mm. Mm. Uh, in which he... People say he attempted to do a cross turn, but for me it wasn't even that. He just kind of, he didn't really know what he was doing. But anyway, he gets pressured by Inacho, tries a, a deft little back heel, completely blows it, gets caught in possession. Inacho then centres it and oh, Gazal or Guzzle puts it away. Puts away yeah. yeah, and gives Liverpool a bit of a scare. Now, David, you were busy on social media. I'm still media. busy. I'm still busy. Yeah, it's, it's still kicking right. off. Yeah. I mean, it's right. my own fault. I've, I've brought it on Because you said 50% of keepers playing out at the back depend on the options the outfield players give them. Here, Joe Gomez, who everyone mm. thinks has it otherwise had an excellent game, did nothing to offer himself to Alisson. Given the philosophy and the style of play, he should go to receive the ball. He has time to do it. Yeah. So, first of all, it's a it's a... It's not a great back pass by uh, Virgil Van Dijk. He gets put in the in in the mire a little bit by uh, by Hendo. He, he goes back to Allison. Allison's got to go out wide to retrieve the ball. Everybody says he should just hoof it up the pitch. Yeah, and I haven't said that he shouldn't have done that. My responsibility, not my responsibility. What I try to do is give give somebody a different perspective on what's happened. So for me to say Allison should have just hoofed up the pitch, I think it's obvious. Mm. So everyone tweeting me that. Is is just you know I'm not stupid. That's that's what he, what he should have done. Right. But given the fact that it's Allison, you've bought Allison to keep the ball and keep possession. Mm. You know what he's capable of. You don't ask somebody to to change their philosophy. And okay, in that one situation, he he didn't do the right thing. But over the course of the season, he you know Liverpool and City yeah. for, from goalkeepers' possession are capable of creating chances with three passes and under. Yeah. By by doing that cross turn and going down the opposition's weak side, the pace and the the ability to counter attack, they can be in the. the so goal. you think it was that rather than, for example, as one as Canary Mark suggested that he just got a bit bored and decided to try yeah. something. Well, there, there is that as well. Right, because the previous week, of course, against Brighton, there were a couple of near misses there, and you thought you'd you'd have thought maybe that was a bit of a wake up. Th- this is the first time, uh, to my knowledge, in his career that he's been caught with a ball, and. You can go across, uh, use a... It's the third time in a week that he's come close, though, that he's been involved in a it's, scary it's, instant. It's probably the, I don't know, the, the 50th time in the past four four seasons he's done it. Right. And so if you... Uh, did you use uh, Y-Scout? Yeah. Use Y-Scout. So there's, there's no one called Instat as well where you can go look at all the games and everything. So you've gone that and you, you clip all his, uh, his possessions outside the box and take-ons. That's the first time he's ever been caught like that. Now he's cap- he tried to do it because he's capable of doing it, right? And okay, so the ball goes out wide to him. Yeah, he, he couldn't recognise, but he wants to keep possession. His team knows he wants to keep possession, so they have their responsibility is to offer themselves. Now a lot of people stupidly have said to me when I've put this X, this is where Joe Gomez should be. They say, oh well, look at him. That's where he's he's pointing for the ball to be played there. Allison is going far to the right with his focus on the ball, trying to the keep passes over here, trying to saying. keep the ball in play. He's yeah. got his head down, so he can't he can't see Joe Gomez when the, uh, pointing to where he wants the ball. Also, there's a uh, there's a striker coming across the the passing lane as uh, the passing lane as well, so he can't see that. It's impossible to see that. But what he could see in his peripheral vision, if he's got his head down, I can see a body straight ahead of me there. 
I can't see a hand, but I can see a body. So if he makes it more obvious and clear by changing his position, which he has time to, mm-hmm. then the pass is there, it's on, they play the goal the other side. But even when he doesn't, he doesn't um, take the decision to do that, it's not on. He doesn't think, oh, I'm going to hoof it, I'm going to turn out. He's capable of doing that, goes out the other side, they're, they're almost on the attack. Right. Daniel, so, you're buying this? I, I absolutely agree that that's why he's been bought, and I also agree that he's capable of doing it. I think Jurgen Klopp, Jurgen Klopp, after the game, described it as a very good time for the mistake. Because, and I think that part that that's partly because Liverpool won the game, but it's also because of the incidents of the last couple of weeks. I think he probably thinks, not don't get clever with me or don't get arrogant, because he described Allison as 0.0 percent arrogance. He said this is all confidence; it's not arrogance. Um, I think it will offer him and his teammates a reminder that the Premier League is a high-intensity league, more high-intensity than Serie A was, certainly in the final third of strikers pressing. In Serie A, if he'd have got that back pass, the striker would not have been as quick to press him, I don't think, as as Iheanacho was. So it it is a different league and he will have to learn. Klopp also said, um, that's the last time one of my goalkeepers will try a Cruyff turn in the box. So It won't be. I don't think he will be, but... There will be a conversation between the two, I'm sure. Don't constantly give the goalkeeper the ball. There are other solutions. Well, I mean, Which that, is kind of like we spent 67 million on him, but best not pass back. Well, to well, him. well I, I don't know why he's saying that because he's like I said he's capable of doing it. And so what you used to have when when the back pass rule came in, all you got was defenders not even looking behind you playing blind balls and the balls would bounce around your neck. It was like go on, you deal with it, like right? you know. Yeah. And and really, defenders. Even at the top level, still there's still a hint of that where they they don't take everything into consideration. They don't consider you know it's not a considerate pass back to the goalkeeper. So it's it should be like like I said, I'm not blaming Joe Gomez for that. Yeah, the responsibility lies with Allison. Mm-hmm. Not once have I ever said that anything different, but it's just a coaching point from so from a goalkeeper and a goalkeeping coach perspective that's exactly how I'd want to play even back when when I was at Darlington with Jimmy Montgomery we used to talk about playing out the back did you ever did you kind do, of ever do, do, do you know you what scary moments like this do you know what for about I don't know for quite a few years I got away a lot with I used to allow the player come towards me and I used to kind of scoop it over their heads until I played FC Michelin's for Silkeborg and I kicked it straight at the strike and he took it around, around me and it didn't stop me doing it but it just made sure that I was was it the defender's fault though for not sure <laughs> do you know what it was because I shouldn't need to do that they should go up square. Yeah, absolutely. But like I said, it's it's it wasn't uh, it wasn't the blame Joe Gomez, which everyone has taken it as. Right. It, it was the fact that it's a coaching point. This should, this should happen, and it's it's the same goes with Arsenal. Arsenal are awful at offering themselves. Well, yeah, we'll talk about them later on. Michael, one last point on this. If anything... well, now Liverpool have got a throwing coach. I'm just intrigued to see whether they bring in a Cruyff turn coach or a <laughs> put your foot through it coach. That will that will dictate the philosophy it, for the rest. Of the... Can we talk about that first for a second? Sure. Because uh, did you see the clip with um, Andy Greer and, and Richard Keys? And, yes. And, and I had a little discussion with Paul Robinson on. Oh there. my God! I dreamt about Richard Keys last night. Oh no. <laughs> I literally dreamt that I was somewhere and he walked in and it was a really awkward moment. Anyway. Well, do you know what? I'll say one thing. My experience of Andy Gray and Richard Keyes have been all right, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh-huh. I've right. been interviewed by him a few times, but it's, mm-hmm. anyway. Um, they scoffed at this. Andy Gray yeah. scoffed at this. And even, like I said, I had a little discussion with uh, Paul Robinson, uh, ex-Leeds, uh, Tottenham goalkeeper last night. And, and even he was like sort of like... Uh, emoji laughing face at uh, throwing coaches. I've worked with Thomas Gronemark yeah. in Denmark. Okay. And uh, I think one Silicon Ball was one of the first clubs he started with. He's coming from like a, 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 an athletics background, I think. He's not a throwing expert. He, he's, well, he is now, but he, he was a thrown discipline. Right. So and anything, he's the world record holder. Uh, yeah, he is 55 metres or something like that. So, he, he, so any discipline was like shot put, javelin, whatever. He, he's, he was a technique coach to right. be producer a longer throw, and he worked with our full backs when I was at Silicon Ball. And he put like I don't know, ten fifteen meters onto a uh, onto a, an average throwing. Yeah. By the t- well, I think no, I mean I I I think that it completely makes sense. I imagine he's not a full time throwing coach. He's not there oh, no. every day of the week. No, he, he no. wouldn't be. But he'd be more like a, sure he'll a do consult- the consultancy yeah, there yeah. and then around. Yeah. But I mean, when you look at what Iceland had done with it, and of course, I mean, Stoke back in the days of Rory de Lapp, it makes total sense. As much for the bad throw-ins that he'll eliminate, hopefully. To the amount he can improve the good throwings, if you if you know. Yeah, what I mean. and it's not just that; it's all, every throwing, no matter where it is on the pitch, mm. is a set piece situation. Yeah. So you can devise something in your own half, in your own final third, that comes up with something where you can get out the other side and attack, and becomes an attacking situation. 
It's the last great unexplored kind of area of improvement in that sense. I did really like the fact that there's a wonderful irony to, to Andy Gray roughly speaking that kind of proper football man football 442 style of pundit um because the throw in is was the Stoke City proper football way of scoring goals it was the kind of scene when it came in as really old school now it's become more scientific suddenly it's scoffed at which seems bizarre to me actually when i was doing um research for the, for the book about the the premier league tactics uh, there's a chapter about stoke and i went back and i watched basically all the goals stoke scored under pulis and one of the interesting things was that of course lots came from the long throws but also a lot came because the opponents were so desperate not to concede the throws they'd try and play their way out the back lose possession and stoke would win high at the ball high up the pitch and what is klopp's philosophy it's all about winning the ball in dangerous positions so it's it's not just the throws it's what can you know, lead from the throws and what what comes instead of the throws, it's, I think it's worthwhile. Brilliant. All right. Well, in a second or two, we'll be having a look at what came out of the urn last Thursday in Monaco. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Michael, have you seen The Matrix yet? No. Okay, you need to sort that out. David, you've seen The Matrix, haven't you? I haven't seen The oh Matrix. Oh, my goodness. No. Da- Daniel. I have, but I wouldn't be able to tell you the plot or anything really about it. All right, not- let's hope we fare better uh, with the Champions League draw, which happened on Thursday. Spurs, whoo They got Inter, PSV and Barcelona. Liverpool got PSG, Red Star, Napoli. You've probably seen the draws. Man City, Leon, Hoffenheim, Shakhtar Donetsk. Man United got Young Boys, Juventus and Valencia. Spurs and Liverpool in particular, how worried should they be? I think they'll both progress, to be honest. I think the other sides in their groups will be pretty nervous about drawing them. I think we can underestimate really how good the Premier League teams are. I know they didn't do particularly well in in Europe last year with the the exception of Liverpool. Um, You know, I think the English clubs have underperformed for a few years, but... On paper, I think they're probably four of the strongest eight teams, so I wouldn't have too many worries. Interesting group the Spurs have got, though. PSV, who probably they weren't that worried about, but PSV, Michael, as you'd probably know, won 6-1 this weekend against Willem Tway. You've got Barcelona, who won uh, Ocha Ados <laughs> against Huesca. Huesca were newly promoted in the first top-flight season. They'd only once gone to uh, New Camp or Camp Nou, before in the Copa del Rey they'd lost 8-1 this time though they took the lead yeah. but still ended up losing 8-2 and then Inter who finally got a win this weekend 3-0 uh, without Icardi which was, was, was big that was away at Bologna Inter will only have a 20-man roster for the uh, group stages on account of the their kind of plea bargain with the UEFA uh, they're quite excited about about the group Inter Gazeta called it uh, Inferno uh, but they, they said for Juve and Roma it was a paradiso uh, they, they like the Man United group. This was, of course, before Man United laid on that tour de force at Burnley. But, you know, of course, there's a romantic thing of Cristiano Ronaldo back up against uh, his, his former club. It's very much the, the George Mendes right. uh, group as well. With Valen- his, he had some impact with Valencia. He's obviously got Ronaldo, Juventus and Manchester United with Mourinho. Right. And, and Young Boys versus Old Lady, which oh, oh, we can all get on board good. with. Oh, that good. is good. Makes note of that. Uh, speaking of uh, Juventus, of course, they maintained their perfect start with a victory away at the Tardini against Parma on Saturday. Quite a hard-fought game. Did Cristiano Ronaldo score? No, he did not. Uh, Mandzukic, you like the one-twos, Michael. Mm. Did you see his delicious back heel? I did, the yes. second goal, he yeah. sets up um, Blaise Matuidi. Jovinho scoring Parma's goal, so that was nice. Mm. Cristiano Ronaldo, who's the headline on the Corriere della Sport was CR 5.5. For his kind of, they felt it was his worst performance so far. He's now had more shots without scoring than any other player in Europe's top five leagues this season. Not just more, but ten more than the next player in that list. <laughs> but uh, you know, it'll come. The old Thomas Int start that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, talking of back heels. Riallarga verso Berezinski. Cross dentro. Quagliarella col tacco. Da impazzire. Fabio Quagliarella. 3-0 Samp. Goal, capolavoro del grande ex. Yep, Sampdoria there. The third of their three goals against Napoli, handing uh, Carlo Ancelotti his first defeat of the season with the Neapolitans, who've, uh, of course, they're in with, uh, with Paris Saint-Germain and Liverpool and, and, 
and whatever Red Star are really called. <laughs> uh, but yeah, what a, what an amazing goal that was. What was this question from Matthew Barry? Would the pods celebrate like Quagliarella, i.e. not celebrate, or run around like a maniac if you'd scored a stunner? I mean, there's context here, isn't there? He is Neapolitan. He played at Napoli. And also... It was he values almost... his life. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I like the non-celebration or the muted celebration in that because it, it almost acts as a perfect counterpoint right. to the spectacular goal. Yeah. So it was good. And it was extraordinary, oh, wasn't it? Yeah. we've they, they came in kind of mid-90s as a new style of goal, that one, where it comes across you and it actually, although it looks fancy, sometimes it, it's an easier finish to play it with the side of your foot behind you right. then try and go a sweet well, bit across. Better, better go. There's an incredibly famous one in Italy which was back in the 80s that, that he did. For Brian the... Roy, 1995. Okay. Nottingham Forest at, at White Hart Lane is right. the one that I jumped to, obviously. And Zola, there's a classic Zola for Chelsea. Yeah. There's a, Norwich. There's a yeah. Extraordinary Mancini one as well, which we often talk about. Yeah. But this was so good because, A, he was about, what, 10, 12 metres out. Mm-hmm. Secondly, he was kind of, he wasn't inside the post, as it were. He was kind of beyond the near post I don't know yeah. how you'd yeah and I mean I guess maybe one of the reasons he didn't celebrate like crazy was he scored so many spectacular goals that he's he's almost becoming accustomed to that I mean over the last 10 or 15 years with the exception of Messi I'm not sure there's many players yeah. who could put together a top 10 goals his show really yeah. I mean he's just an incre- he's with the exception of last season he hasn't really been a great goal scorer but right. a scorer of great goals well but, he's had Lots of issues, not least with his mm. postman. And that's something that I think we might explore in, in Wednesday's Golazzo. You want a quag, you know, a wallow in the quag. That, fin- uh, that finish, by the way, it's it's because it's so good because it's it's almost impossible to read as a goalkeeper. Oh, right. Because it looks as if you're you're leaving the ball for somebody coming in behind. So you, you almost relax a little bit thinking that you've got to move in, into the next one as Tony passed The him. speed of thought as well for Quagliarella because the ball's fizzed into him. Is it my best ever goal? No, it's in the top three, but I've scored from midfield a couple of times, so there are others to choose from. <laughs> I'm just sad that I always end up scoring beautiful goals against my Napoli. Anyway, big win that for Sampdoria. Um, and uh, in what was, of course, an emotional game in many ways because it was their first game, you know, first home game since the uh, the bridge disaster in Genoa. We'll talk more about the Champions League, which will also feature Roma from Syria, in th- Thursday's show when Alvaro Romeo and James Horncastle and Julian Laurent will be joining us. But should we mention perhaps we should the Europa League, which also had its draw? And what do you make of Arsenal's group with the uh, Carabag? a Ukrainian side whose name is Vorskla and Sporting Lisbon. Um, well, the one, the one. I mean, they will qualify top of that group, I have no doubt, but the one kind of takeaway from it is the sheer mileage they'll cover, which is three times as far as Chelsea will in their group. Really? Two properly long away trips, um, which obviously playing Thursday, Sunday football is potentially significant. Right. Chelsea's group, by the way, Pauk Salonika, Bate Borisov and Hungarian side Vidi. Two Scottish sides both through. Celtic are up against Salzburg. They've got the two Red Bull sides, haven't they? Which is intriguing. Salzburg and Leipzig and Rosenberg. Rangers have Rapid Vienna, Villarreal and Spartak Moscow. Speaking of Celtic and Rangers, of course, it was the old firm game this weekend. Anyone watch this? Yep, I did, yeah. Uh, Rangers, because they have Steven Gerrard as their manager, there is a deliberate reason within English punditry and journalism to hype up Rangers this season, partly because we want a title race and partly because Steven Gerrard is a very famous former footballer. They were dreadful, absolutely really? dreadful. They, didn't, they were embarrassing, actually, because they didn't try. Um, Gerrard's explanation or you know, his grievance after the game was that a foul should have been given, which is true. But In the build-up to Celtic Exactly. Score. But after 20 minutes, Rangers goalkeeper Alan McGregor, who was probably the man of the match, kicked a Celtic player and should have been sent off that wasn't spotted. Right. And Celtic had... I mean, I think they, I'm, I'm guessing here, but I think they probably had nearly 20 corners and Rangers maybe one. It was just, it was incessant pressure for 90 minutes. It was, wow. it was a, hum, a one nil humbling. Uh, and yeah, uh, David was saying before, I won't steal his statistic, but David was saying before the show to me that that's Rangers' worst start to a season since I think 1989. 29 years, yeah, mm. the seventh. There had been a lot of talk of how they'd improved under Stephen Gerrard, but you, you didn't see that particularly in evidence against Celtic. They may well have improved, but the gap is still monumental chasmic right it wasn't just the old firm game this weekend Michael it was also the old farm game Mm. which saw Norwich and Ipswich drawing 1-1 
Uh, also during this weekend, or on Friday, was that big game between Borough and Leeds in the top of the Championship. You can find out all this totally good stuff in the Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker. That's up on Tuesday. Just before that, Andrew Slaven will be giving his agreeably Hibernian take on, on events north of the border in the Totally Scottish Football show. I bet they'll talk about that ghost goal. Did you see this, Partick yes. Thistle? Oh, that was good. Grinnett Morton, what, what actually happened? Cause... So the Partick Thistle, I saw it through the Partick Thistle a Twitter account, which I'm sure <clears> most of us did, and they just said, oh, this, this didn't cross the line then, uh, and then just post the video of, of a ball being thwacked into the back of the net and the referee and assistant somehow coming to the conclusion that it was a throw-in. Uh, it was as bad a refereeing decision as I think I've ever seen. Next up, back to the Premier League as we discover... Who, Daniel Story says, are the accidental entertainers? Absolutely. Yeah, no, I think we've all got a fair idea that it's Arsenal that you're talking about, Daniel. You make them sound a little bit like a clown car. Was that your take on their performance away at at Cardiff? They are brilliant going forward and shambolic thereafter, Mm. uh, which they were last season and and add to it this season that you have a new manager trying to implement his own philosophy, which a number of players in the team don't look as if they can get on board with and they don't have the money to buy new ones yet. Yes, they do look like a bit of a clown car, although a clown car that won their first away game under Emery. Um, The two stats I got yesterday were, firstly, in their last 19 Premier League games, a side has scored three or more in 14 of them. Right. Five against Arsenal, nine of them for Arsenal, huh. uh, and also of the last of the six games since the start of last season with the most shots, Arsenal involved in half of them. Interesting. They are just they are a team that it, it sounds very simple, but there's no other way of saying it. They are brilliant going forward and dreadful at everything else. Well, this finished three two to Arsenal. It could have been three three. It could have been a three two Cardiff win. No, were you more impressed with them or, or Arsenal, Michael? More impressed with Cardiff, to be honest, mm. because I still think their squad is is deeply average with respect. I think it's a mid-table championship squad, and I was, you know, I thought coming into this game, if Cardiff were going to give Arsenal a game, it'd probably be in a tight game, you know, one nil with a set piece or something. But Cardiff attacked; they went for it. They pressed Arsenal in the first half. They caused Arsenal's defenders problems. I think Warnock afterwards said that they'd watch videos of of Czech have, uh, struggling to play out, and they were going to press high up, and they did have a, a very good early chance through that. Um, yeah, I think Warnock's done, doing a really good job. I know they haven't got a win yet, but they've kept a couple of clean sheets. They've given themselves belief. And I just think a performance like this, even though they didn't win, mm. it creates a kind of feeling amongst the supporters that when a big club comes to town, let's be a bit kind of old school Stoke. Let's put on an atmosphere. Let's, you know, go and get them. And right. I, I thought they were really impressive, actually, Cardiff. All right. And their first goals of the season through Camaraz and, and, and Danny Ward. Zelda Terrorhawk says, can you discuss how clearly terrified Pedacek is of playing it out from the back? Do you think that's fair, David? No, not really. I, I, I mean, he doesn't look the, the most sort of fluid footballer. Given that, he was actually a striker until his teens. Didn't turn a goalkeeper until until late, pretty late on. So you would think he was he'd be more accustomed to that. Obviously, he hasn't been asked to do this job uh, while he was at Chelsea. But I just think they looks they just need to take the stabilizers off. It's almost like they're you know they're, they're so sort of stiff and sort of they're still restricted. They should just free themselves up and 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 be braver with the passes, because sometimes the, the the one that he did give away mm, to Harry Arter. Yeah, so there the, was um, the two centre half split wide, which it should. Granite Xhaka drops deep, and now Granite Xhaka he sort of like. He half offers himself. He's doing a bit the same as what Gomez is doing. He's sort of saying, "Well, give me it here," but he doesn't look convincing. And if he if he plays the ball into the jacket and Jacker plays out there, Socrates, mm. they're out. It's perfect. It's so much easier than him trying to play that an eye of a needle ball through there uh, through to to the centre midfield. But I just think this, they're obviously working on it a lot. But like I said, they've got to be braver, and the defenders have got to give them uh, act more like midfielders in the way they offer themselves and the angles they give the goalkeeper. Right, and and all of this it boils down to you know we talk about uh, people talk about traditional goalkeepers and they should be taking chances and doing and doing Cruyff turns things like this is this is what we're doing now. This is goalkeeping now. So like um, I've mentioned before on this podcast, uh, Tim Dipmer, who's the uh, he's the head of development for goalkeeping at FA. Now, uh, one of his ideas he comes up with is when the ball's maybe in the left-back position, that the goalkeeper takes up a position on the other side of the goal. 
so that it's easy uh, that he's in a better position to to start an attack off down the other side like we we're talking about with with Allison right so the the left back would pass across the face of an exactly. open goal so so that goes against everything that i was i was told as a kid and being ultra conservative ultra safe don't do anything that will um you know that might uh, risk uh, giving a goal away but at that level you should be able to trust yourself to do that Unless there's unless there's like an immediate threat, if you've got the freedom to do that, take a, a, a braver position on the other side. Be brave with it, like I said, with it with the passing as well. And, and there's sometimes there's some things I don't agree with with safety. If you're going for a back pass, I prefer that, or rather that was done beyond the width of the goalposts. Mm. So if there's a bobble or a, a, a sort of a, a miss, a, a bad touch or something, then you know it's not going to concede a goal. Yeah. I agree with that. Mm. But the rest of it, you know. Be brave with it, you know. It's we're not. It's not twenty years ago. Interesting. But that's a far bigger risk. That thing playing it across the goal. I mean, how often does a bobble result in the ball in a back pass going in the goal? It's happened three times in the last ten thousand games. Surely, it's just such a minor issue. That's the thing. Surely, where you've just got to trust technique. You've got to trust the pitch. Mm. That to me, that seems a bit of a contradiction. What's a contradiction? Because I, I, it's, to, it's more risky to do that thing to pass across, to, to pass across your open goal. Which and, and I'm completely on board with the, with the general point. Not, not at all. Not at all. Because if you're uh, unless there's somebody stood in that box. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, but well, no, not even in the box. Anyone who can run onto that ball. The number of times you see a back pass made without the defender being aware of an attacker who's playing on the shoulder who nips in, seizes on the hello, uh, seizes on the back pass and. Messaging yeah. you, but how can how can you say trust the technique and trust trust that kind of thing, which I'm on board with, but then say actually don't play a back pass in oh, the goal so if, my, if the keeper should there. take extra yeah. risk. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. well no, it's not even a risk. It's just passing to just trusting that your goalkeeper can trap the ball. Hmm. But you're not you're not actually playing that ball towards the goal. It's not a threat towards the goal. Hmm. That pass across the goal isn't no, a threat no, towards no, the goal. No, no, I know. I don't have a problem. So that's so that's the that's the there's a direct a direct consequence but, to a misplaced pass. Not if you're playing it across the other side of the goal. Anyway. Anyway, no, I, I, I just completely against no, this idea that you shouldn't pass back to the goalkeeper when he's yeah. between the posts because I've seen I've seen a back pass go in because of a bobble about three times and I've seen probably tens two of, of thousands of goals. Is that right? It's just not an issue. Were two I, of them for England? I'm trying to think what the other one, one was. One of them was the, the, the uh, Robinson one. One of them was uh, Nottingham Forest goal happened to, um, against Derby County. Happened to Brian Gunn once. Mm, interesting. <laughs> uh, at the other end, Obama Yang and Lacazette combining well, Daniel. Yeah, it, maybe I'm wrong here, and it, it sounds overly critical. To me, uh, it felt like they were, for the goal, for, mm-hmm. for Aubameyang's goal, they linked up beautifully. Actually, that felt like one of the only times in the game that they did really link up. And actually, oh. in, the, in the celebration, they looked at each other and went, that was really good, let's do that again. They were both pretty good, I think, at doing what they did, but they seemed to do it in in isolation. I thought what would happen if they played both of them is that Aubameyang would start out wide and Lacazette up front and they would continually swap positions and make things really hard for centre-backs, drag them out. Actually, they kind of stayed pretty much as they were. Lacazette played as that central striker for almost the whole game and and until the goal, Aubameyang, I think, certainly the first half, was actually pretty quiet um, and didn't look to be enjoying himself that much on the wing. But And it also should be said they won't find defences constantly as accommodating as, as Cardiff's to do that. Um, they've been excellent this season in keeping clean sheets, but they weren't very good yesterday, I don't think. Right. Arsenal, Arsenal fans are probably tell me different why Lacazette hasn't been in the side all the time or whatever, but when he plays, to me, he makes the difference. His intelligence and the way that he moves and uh, the, the positions he takes up in, in, in offering himself, it's just uh, I, I think that, it's totally different to what it, uh, I, I think if they didn't have Mesut Ozil there, I think they would both probably start every game. I think the issue is whether you can have that high pressing with mm. Aubameyang, Ozil and Lacazette all in the same team because it asks a heck of a lot of Aaron Ramsey, who played really well like yesterday, but mm. it asks a lot of his energy levels. Right, OK. <laughs> Elsewhere on Sunday, Man United went to Turf Moor and had a 2-0 win, although there were one or two nervous moments after... Pogba's penalty was saved and then two minutes later uh, poor old uh, Rashford got sent off by evil Phil you know Phil Barsley basically kicking him over and then Mm. inviting his head in but um, David as a former professional it's it's not instinctive it surely isn't I can't remember and you know I've been in scraps ever thinking (laughs) I'm going to lean in hard with my head here so why do players do it I've, I've no idea 
Uh, have you you've I, never I done know. that? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've bought mean. Surely, I mean, it would make more sense to kind of front up with your chest or something like that, but to lean your head in, you know what's going to happen it's, next. It's kind of taking place of, you know, you're not allowed to raise your hands. If you raise your hands, you're going to get sent off. So then yep. they lean in and then... But that always gets you sent off as well. Well, that's it. And it, it doesn't have to be sort of, uh, sort of vi- actually violent oh. conduct. It's just... The, the, like Richarlison's the other day was barely a nod. Yeah, exactly. It's just stupid. And I think, it, again, you can see he's provoked by uh, by Phil Barsley, but yeah. he, he allowed himself Phil to be Barsley, provoked. Phil Barsley, who has now been headbutt by Marcus Rashford and reportedly punched by Wayne Rooney in that pre-boxing celebration. Mm. That oh. was Phil Barsley, wasn't it? Was it? Yeah, right, OK, so. at his house? Yes. Right. I've, I've no sympathy for Rashford because you know what you're going to get. But I don't think those incidents need to be red cards, no. really. I think it's all a bit silly. I don't think it's really violent. Mm. It's right. silly, but it's, it's not violent for mm. me. Very disappointing performance from Burnley. Sean Dyche afterwards said... Disappointment is quickly thought about in the same process as the reality. So there's that. <laughs> but Burnley are really, really bad at the moment. I know they've had Thursday night football, but they were kind of built on defensive resilience and they've conceded the most shots on target Ooh. this season in the Premier League. And they've, they've only played one team that finished in the top half last season. Wow. Uh, but, but those Thursday nights have ruined yes. really. yeah. Not just because of the, the amount of games they've had to play or whatever, it's because the, the, they've had to change the, the way they play. They can't just go into those sides and just sort of shut up shop. They have mm. to play a little bit more. Right. Ben says he's going to get the relegation odds later on them. And I imagine West Ham as well. Newcastle... <laughs> Spirited performance away at Man City, especially compared to recent results for the Magpies there. Um, in the end, uh, it took a, a phenomenal strike from Kyle Walker to earn the champions the three points. Uh, good performance from Martin Dubravka as well. Are you a fan of him, David? Again, I'm a very big fan of his. Right. Very big fan. Hey, what do you think about Alex McCarthy of Saints, who won 2-0 away at Palace? Yeah. He's, he's deserved his uh, international call-up, I think. Mm. Uh, first time, I mean, he's 29 now, it's about, uh, it's about time they had a, a decent run at, uh, in the Premier League. This game, Michael, Roy Hodgson afterwards saying, we'll just have to get used to the fact that we can't win without Zaha. Yeah, or can't win with Benteke, because they mm. had chances again, he had chances again, there was so much pressure towards the end. Um, and then the second goal was in stoppage time. But I always think, you know, as a football fan... If you seal a game or win a game with a last-minute goal away from home, that's pretty much as good as it gets. I know that was the second one, but when you're under so much pressure and then there's a breakaway and a goal, it's great stuff. I really like the goal from Ings as well. You know, not a kind of goal of the month contender, but that kind of coolness outside of the foot. I must admit, I wasn't entirely sure about Ings. Um, You know, they haven't technically signed him yet, have they? But there's an agreement in place to sign him for about £18 which sounded a hell of a lot of money to me, but he's played really well so far for some sharp yesterday uh, the weekend, didn't he? Yeah, he's, yeah. he's just a good technical player. Very nice. Uh, anywhere when Zaha is back and Palace can start winning games again? Two weeks, I think. So maybe after the international break? Yeah, well, yeah, I think actually, although they clearly wouldn't have wanted to lose that game, I'm sure that the, one of the reasons for not picking him was because of the international break. Right. OK, Brighton and Fulham had a 2-2 draw. Glenn Murray powering the Seagulls back from 2-0 down against the Cossers, who played some very nice football, I felt, in what what I saw of this game. Uh, Simon Allison says, uh, four games in, who do we think is looking like the best signing and equally who is looking like the worst? And then he puts Seri. I can only assume that's for the best signing because mm-hmm. he's yeah. certainly not been the worst. Would he be among your contenders? Michael? Yeah, I would have said Seri. Um, yep. I also think Felipe Anderson's been excellent despite West Ham's complete lack of points. Um, against certainly Arsenal, better than we expected, I think. Yeah, against Arsenal, he was sensational. Who's been the worst then? Uh, well, there are a number of players who we haven't really even seen yet, which is quite bizarre. I know Fabinho is one who was signed for £50 million and has made one matchday squad on the opening day, and that's it. Um, yeah, Burnt Leno. Yeah, Burnt Leno we haven't seen. Lucas Torreira, who yeah. anyone apart from Granit Xhaka's close family must be <laughs> desperate to see on the pitch. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there's, that's something the strange thing for me this season, that the kind of the new... Uh, indirect result of Premier League's awash with money is that you get these huge signings who don't even even necessarily get in the squad in the first month of the season. Mm. Everton star signing Richarlison absent, of course, suspended for their game against Huddersfield and very disappointing result this one, a 1-1 draw with the Terriers. We're actually not making a bad start to this season. They're doing OK. Yeah. yeah. I mean, in terms of, you know, setting up 10 men behind the ball and <laughs> hoping nothing happens... Yeah, I, I think Everton are still coming together under Marco Silva. There's there's the right signs. I think they've done a couple of things very well. I like their set-piece routines, for example. Um, it was a lovely assist for uh, Lucas Who? Dean. Uh, for Everton? For Everton, not in this game, but in previous All games. because right, in this game, the set-pieces was was what went wrong. Yes, yeah. uh, defensively, yeah. 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 
Um, okay. Jay Evans saying, can Michael please explain how Silver can sort out Everton's zonal marking issue? Six of seven goals conceded from set pieces. Is there an easy solution? It was a strange one, this, because I think an Everton player flicked the ball on at the near post, so it was a little bit. It's a difficult one for others to defend. Um, I don't have any solutions, Mar- I'm afraid. Marco Silva is, it should be said, not a, a co- the coach you'd want to organise a defence. Is he recidivist? Well, it's 15 games now with Watford and Everton since he kept a clean sheet. Oof. Hey. And worryingly, they only managed a single shot on goal in the whole of this game. So, mm. very flat performance. And West Ham losing 1-0 at home to Wolves. West Ham now the only team still yet to claim a point. The goal here coming right that you're talking about getting a goal right at the death mm. away from home, Adama Traore. I liked this because I liked the timing of the introduction of Traore because it was one minute after Aaron Cressel had been booked. And I think the last player you want to come across once they were on yellow card is the fastest player in the Premier League. Is he? Yeah, he must. I haven't seen any stats, but he must be. I don't think I've ever seen such a quick player. He's incredible. He's, um, a, he's, a, he's a sec behind Eason Hazard for completed dribbles in the Premier League this season. He's played 91 minutes, which is amazing. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, he's been doing it in the Championship for a couple of years. Just the dribbling stats, you know, you see these analytic graphs and he's just kind of somewhere in a different postcode. He's so far wow. along the graph. But am I right in thinking that he has all of that, but in terms of end product, he doesn't... I, I, he hadn't previously measured up particularly. I haven't right? really seen enough for him, but I think that's... Nothing could match up to those dribbles or he wouldn't be playing for Wolves or Middlesbrough. Yeah. So yeah. there clearly is an issue there, but... If, you, if you're completing that many dribbles and there's some end product, then that's kind of enough, I think. And of course, the uh, the goal came from an idiotic decision by uh, Carlos Sanchez in midfield, uh, right. getting dispossessed in midfield. So Sanchez, last minute of the game as well. Yeah, who was supposedly going to be yeah. the guy who was going to steady the ship in, in yeah. midfield. Ben has those Adama Traore uh, stats, by the way. They are last season in the Championship, 243 successful dribbles. To put that into context, that was 108 more than anybody else. <laughs> Extraordinary. How much trouble are West Ham in? The next three games, Everton, Chelsea and Man United after the international break. After last week's game against Arsenal, I was quite positive about them because going forward, they look great. They just look, again, like Arsenal. And they should have beaten Arsenal, I think. Should have beaten, for you know first hour of the game, they should have been two or three up. Uh, and both teams defended terribly, but um, that's a big, big worry for them. They didn't look as uh, you know that stupid high line that they kept early uh, the first couple of games, and they seem to have corrected that a little bit. But they are definitely keep they're, they're persistent with it though. They're, they're, it's not as daft as it was the first game, but yeah, it, four games out of win. It's a it's a bit of a snowball. They, in that they've kind of put their eggs in this basket because not only did they give Pellegrini a three-year contract. They've also allowed him to choose his own director of football, who is Mario Fusilos, who he, he worked with at Malaga, and given him a long deal as well. And then they've kind of spent a lot of money, and yet they've got... It's, it's almost like a control experiment for how bad a team can be if you don't play with a central midfield. They dropped, they finally dropped Mark Noble, bless him, on Saturday. But then they started with Carlos Sanchez and Jack Wilshire and... They're playing with attacking fullbacks and three attacking midfielders and basically telling Jack Wilshire that he's got to be the kind of firefighter and it's not going to work because Carlos Sanchez is not good enough to do the job of one player, not never mind two. I think they're in big trouble if they don't solve it. I can't believe they haven't bought a better centre how, how would they solve it? Is there anyone in the squad that they can... Or just by well, reining in the rest of the, the team? Only other play, there's only two other two options they haven't really right. tried yet. One is Pedro Obiang, who came off the bench but was on the pitch when they conceded. And, and the other one's Declan Rice, who has played in central defence and central midfield. But, mm. I mean, neither of them are the high-energy, intensity players that you'd, you'd think would be needed to solve it. I, Kind of worried for them again. All right, Michael. I think they've signed good players, and I think they've got a good manager. But there's, I think there's a real undercurrent of, I don't know what I don't even really know what the word is. Just dissatisfaction at the club. I just it feels like a negative environment. The supporters aren't happy. They haven't been happy since they moved to that ground. It just seems to a bit like Newcastle a few years ago when they were signing really good legal and talent, and they just weren't playing well because I think you come into an environment where there's negativity and and just not much will to win perhaps I don't know but it's just I, I I thought West Ham were the most unpredictable team in the Premier League I wouldn't have been surprised if they pushed on and gone for Europa I wouldn't be surprised if they got relegated and I think it will be quite a difficult one to turn around to be honest um, yeah anyway uh, now I mentioned odds on Burnley for that and more producer Ben's been speaking to Paddy Power Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power on the line. As always, Lee, we're heading into the international break. And as we do so, there are three teams who uh, have won all of their games. Liverpool, 
Chelsea and Watford. And uh, I think no one expected probably all three of those to have performed so well at the start of the season. Let's talk about Watford, though. Are they the new Burnley? What odds can you give me for them finishing seventh or making the Europa League? Yeah, I've been really skeptical about Watford, including on last week's show. So apologies to Hornets fans. They totally deserve to beat Tottenham. And they're now twice as likely to qualify for the Europa League at 7-1 than they are to get relegated, according to our odds. We make them slightly longer, 8-1 to finish 7th, but uh, they're on fire at the minute. I still can't quite understand it. Well, let's talk about uh, the old Burnley then, i.e. Burnley. Uh, They're having a terrible start to life and they're out of the Europa League. Um, Are they going to get relegated this season? We think they might, yeah. They're now third favourites to go down. Obviously, three teams go down, so that's perilous for them. They are 6-4, to four, a very short price to go down. But that's not as short as Cardiff and Huddersfield, who are both odds-on to get relegated already. Slightly harsh, I think, on Cardiff at least. Well, let's talk about West Hamley, who are very much rock bottom of the league. Um, we talked about this a few weeks ago, rather facetiously, but it does seem to be bearing fruit, and I like some updated odds. Are they going to do a palace? Can they go seven without a win? Yeah, Pellegrini can buy a £100 million squad, but he can't buy a win. This is a terrifying one of games, and they're actually odds-on not to win one of their first seven league matches, which is 4-9. to nine. And it's just 10-3 to three that they lose all seven, like Palace last season. And it doesn't get easier either. They've got Brighton and then Tottenham next. No wonder Pellegrini's joint favourite to be sacked first. Uh, and Lee, let's let's end on something a bit more optimistic. Let's talk about the top scorer. Salah and Kane are scoring, but it's Mane. Saido Mane, who is top of the scoring charts at the moment, can he stay there? It's this really good value, this one. This is a good pick. It's 10 to 1 that Mane wins the golden boot, about double the price of uh, his teammate Salah, uh, although Salah is 11 to 2 behind Harry Kane and Sergio Aguero in the betting. Mitrovic, who is joint top scorer at the minute, is 33 to 1 if you want a long shot. You can find out all these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. 18 plus only, be gambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. We're back on Thursday with, uh, let's see who's in. James Horncastle, I mentioned this before, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurent. We're going to be discussing probably a bit of that Champions League stuff, but more to the point, the Nations League. Mm. The Nations League, which gets underway Friday? Is it Friday? I think it is. We'll find out that and other exciting details in Thursday's Totally Football Show. For now, many thanks to David and Michael and Daniel. Good luck in your trip to Manchester. Thank you. Thank you very much. Where you'll be returning in October, as we mentioned before. Uh, Listener, have a great time with whatever you're getting up to. We'll see you Thursday. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And make sure you check out our other football podcasts, the revamped Totally Football League show with Caroline Barker and the brand new Totally Scottish Football Show. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.